0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is episode 18 of the last one, fast one podcast. Our guest tonight is absolutely incredible. I guess I'm kind of speechless for what to say, and he's, it's an honor to have him. Um, He's an NCAA champion, two-time Olympic gold medalist, current world record holder as part of the most legendary uh, race in history, the four by 100 meter freestyle relay in Beijing. Um, It's Garrett Weber-Gale. Thanks for joining us, Garrett.
1: Thanks for having me on here. (laughs) So, uh, Garrett, what like got you into swimming? So like way back in your younger days.
2: Yeah. So, you know, I grew up in a small town in Wisconsin called Stevens Point. There wasn't much going on there. And my mom um, took us to the pool at this rec center basically every day. She swam every day for pregnancy. She was um, a swimmer in college, as was her dad. Um, And we just were always in the water. When I was a kid, you know, we moved to Milwaukee from that small town and was on the you know summer league team and just loved being in the water. We, My sister and I'd be over there three times a day and um, naturally just kind of had an affinity for the water. It kind of seemed to move through it in ways that other people my age didn't really quite understand how to do water. My mom kind of brags, I had like a, a perfect butterfly in her eyes when I was four <laughs> years old and um, story my high school swim coach Dwight Davis actually he was like the head of the pool at that point and he saw me swimming fly there when I was like four years old and said like who is that kid where is he going to high school and um, that was kind of the start of my my swimming curve you know falling in love with the water and actually you know we'll probably talk about this later but didn't actually start swimming year-round until I was 14 so just fa- fell in love with it early did a lot of different things uh, before really focusing on it later in life. Got
0: gotcha. Yeah, so I'm from Iowa and Luke's um, from Nebraska. Well, I'm from Nebraska too, but I'm living in Iowa now. What's the swim culture like in Wisconsin
2: compared to other states? I would say the swim culture was pretty good in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. There's there certainly some fast swimmers who've come out of Wisconsin over the years, some Olympians, a lot of people swimming in college. I would say it's probably a smaller swimming state and certainly nothing like Texas, which I eventually came down to swim at, you know, later in my high school career. And that was a pretty big wide, um, you know, eye opening experience because Texas and California and Florida, they're just like massive swimming States compared to everything else. Right. Yep. So when our... did
0: you, um, decide to go down to, to Texas, to train?
2: When I was kind of, I want to say during my junior year of high school, it started becoming apparent that the place I was swimming, the people I was swimming around, I was kind of hitting my upper limit of who I was training with and who could help me really progress to that next level. I'd gone to swim camps. I'd swum, you know, in Florida with Jack Nelson, really legendary coach, who was the only person to swim in the Olympics and be the head coach of an Olympic team. I'd gone to swim for Misty Hyman's coach in the summer, Bob Glad at the Arizona Sports Ranch. I went to the Ohio State swim camp. I went to a spring camp with Mike Bottom back when he was coaching at Cal with uh, Anthony Irvin and Gary Hall and Bart Kisrowski and those guys. And it became apparent that, you know, there were a lot of coaches out there who were pretty next level. And I wanted to get to the next level. And so we started asking around and really two coaches kind of came up as, you know, the development coaches that, you know, were the best options to go to at that time. Dave Salo, who was at Nova Aquatics and Randy Reese, who's at uh, circle C down in Austin at the time. And we talked to both of them um, at kind of a spring nationals meet that was in Minneapolis. Randy just kind of hit it off with us. He's a real straight shooter. He, you know, looked at my races, he kind of gave me some technique tips and, um, we just really seemed to jive with him. And so he invited us to come down and, and I swam with him starting after junior high school, my mom and I moved down to Austin to swim with him. And that was pretty bonkers. You know, I, I got down to Austin and like Neil Walker fellow Wisconsin, you know, guy who was ahead of me, but Olympian, you know, he was training with Randy, um, Josh Davis, Olympia was training with Randy. a bunch of these people is like, oh my gosh, I went from swimming in Wisconsin on a team where I would win everything in practice to going to swim with Randy and he had you know 14 year old girls I was 16 at the time who beat me everything in practice, not, not to mention just you know, Josh and Nate and all these other people my age. Jeez,
1: yeah, that's definitely an experience for sure. So uh, start taking us through. So that was junior year. Do you think, mm-hmm. how much of a like progression did you go
2: through swimming there in te- Texas
1: versus in Wisconsin?
2: Pretty dramatic. I wanna say the summer after my sophomore year of high school, I went 54-1 in the 100 free. The summer after my junior year high school, um, I think I went 51-8. Um, I mean, I dropped time like crazy, and everything. Yeah. I mean, it was the first time I really ever even trained doubles, um, and I was, I was kind of, you know, in some ways, swimming and sport is about constantly expanding what you think you're capable of. And when I went down there to swim with Randy, I kind of got a taste for the first time of what I might be capable of, and what other people are capable of in swimming. You, you go down there and you get a sense of what it looks like to really be a good underwater kicker. I was always a good kicker on a board. Um, you know, not many people could ever beat me on a board. And then I went down there and got a new kind of level set for me of what that meant to be a good kicker on a board and what it meant to kick with tennis shoes on your feet and how much that strengthened your legs. So I got so much better. I mean, I think I went 45, five, my junior year of high school. Um, And then stayed down there with Randy that summer. It got so much better. I begged my parents, please let me stay down here. I want to continue getting better. (laughs) They agreed to let me stay down there my first semester, my senior high school. I went to a meet that December with Randy. I went 43 7 in the 100 yard free. So dropped almost two seconds in the 100 free sal. I didn't know at the time, but that was actually under the National Public High School record but it wasn't a high school meet, and then I was like, I want to go break the national high school record, Um, so I went back to Wisconsin second semester my senior year to swim for Nicolet High School, Mm -hmm. wanted to break that national high school record, ended up going 43-4, so, you know, swimming a year with Randy, I dropped two seconds, letters free Um, that'd be different if you were going, you know, 52 to 50 point, but at that time to go from 45, which I think I got second in the Y nationals that year, my junior year, Yeah, you know, which is already a really fast time. And then going two seconds faster just is pretty ridiculous. And it was kind of inarguable that he knew what he was doing and the recipe that we worked on down there was, it was something I needed to continue.
0: Yeah, for sure. sure. So that state meet, was there anyone even remotely close to you when you go forty-three and break the national high school record in Wisconsin?
2: I want to say Matt Engel, maybe the guy who got uh, second. He was like forty-five or something. Okay, something like that. Yeah, right. I was <laughs> so at what
0: yeah. at what point um do you kind of start looking at colleges? Um, just I started
2: looking at colleges. I think my junior year we went to um some colleges. After meeting California, we went to look at Stanford, Cal, USC. I kind of had this um, benchmark for myself. I was not going to go anywhere in the cold. I didn't want to wake up in the morning and go <laughs> to morning practice and, you know, zero degrees. I down that town, shoveled the car off growing up in Wisconsin. I didn't want to do that. So I really only looked at Texas, Cal, Arizona, Stanford, and USC. Came down for me between Texas and USC. Texas was just the best option in my mind, not only because they had the pedigree of guys who were doing what I wanted to do, which was go to the Olympic and win 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 medals, Um, but it combined the best of athletics and the best of academics. And I really wanted to go someplace where I felt like there were going to be father figures away from home, and Chris Kubik, who was then the assistant, Eddie Reese, who's still the coach down here you know, they were so uh, blatantly, obviously going to take care of me away from my parents, which were, you know, 1500 miles away. And that was really important to me.
0: For sure. And what were some like goals you had, like going in, into college? Was it like, you had obviously had a great college career, we're going to get into that. But what Mm -hmm. were some things just on the top of your head that were some of your goals going into at Texas?
2: I don't even know that I had that many college goals as much as it was like, I saw the Olympics in 1994, the Lillehammer Games. We we were on a ski trip, and I remember my parents watching it like the lobby of this hotel. And I walked out kind of like from the hotel room and saw kind of like the Olympic soundtrack playing. And they were kind of doing the intro to what the Olympics was. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. And then two years later, in '96, I remember watching every single minute of the olympics on tv that summer with my sister and we saw josh davis and gary hall jr and all these swimmers tom dolan um mao chow and i was like whoa this is super cool and i've thought so much about what on earth was so alluring about the olympics yeah it's still even hard for me to put into perspective like what was so enticing about that but really for me it was all about where could i go to become an olympian i mean Cal was super compelling because Mike was coaching um, great sprinters at that time, but the academics at Cal, I didn't feel like I was going to get the support there I needed. Um, You know, Mark Schubert at USC obviously produced a lot of Olympians, but they were more distance oriented. That might not have been a fit for me. And so when I went to Texas, um, I think a lot of guys go into college thinking they wanted to be an NCAA champion or they wanted to win a team championship or Frankly, a lot of people were just excited to be on the team, to Mm -hmm. be able to compete in college, to go on their travel squad. That stuff really never even came into my brain because that was just kind of, you know, obvious that I was going to be able to go and do those things because I just was confident, you know, my ability to swim and get faster and work hard. For me, it was just all about what do I do to make the Olympic team? And, you know, the summer after my freshman year of college was the 2004 Olympic trials, um, and everything was keyed in on trying to make that team. I gotcha.
0: Yeah. So take when I went to that. Texas,
2: when I went to Texas, I mean, I showed up, there were like seven or eight guys who had already been U.S. Olympians on that. Wow. Out of like 35 people, yeah. seven of them were already Olympians. So it was like the bar was set. I could tell what might be required to go and do that. And it's like, just go out and do it.
0: Yeah. So it's the place to be for sure.
2: But yeah, for sure. So, Still uh, is the place to be.
0: true very true (laughs) hey
1: they're still dominating like we had a um
0: nate german prey. he's a texas commit from nebraska we had him on and i think he's like tied for the number one spot in the country in texas of course yeah still getting all the the good ones for sure Yeah.
1: yeah insane so uh take us through so obviously you hit on like freshman year of college what kind of like or just like try to sum up how difficult the training is there at texas
2: I would say that the training at Texas is set up where everyone can make the sets, Mm -hmm. but it's set up to where Eddie recruits guys who want to get after it. He talks about how the thing he looks for most is just recruiting good people who are going to be good students who happen to be good athletes. And um, when you have 35 people in the pool, on any given day, maybe a half dozen of those guys are going to be feeling good for whatever reason. And then, they're feeling good, they get after it. And, um, I'm just making this up completely, but like you're doing maybe a set of, um, you know, best average 100 freeze from a push on like, you know, 110 or 115. And like a few of them are going, you know, under 50 because they're feeling really good. Well, then everyone else, you know, you want to really try and race them. And so, there's this collective energy that builds and that's really what feeds the Texas culture and the practices. So completing the workouts, you know, you can complete them and they're hard, but they're totally doable. But then it gets kind of taken to this other level, which is everyone's striving to improve. I would say most people are striving to improve. um, And then that's where it gets really hard because you don't want to get beat by other people. For sure. Gotcha
0: so um we're gonna talk we want to talk a little bit about that 2006 um national championship that you won from lane eight yeah so luke actually has got the video pulled up here so he's oh my gonna, gosh he's cool, gonna cool. share the screen with you nice and then uh, um i can't you believe did, you found this video that's great
1: i just I yeah. scroll, <laughs> scroll 30 minutes into it like they don't even so I I i've got it, I got it pulled up here although, oh my uh, gosh
2: this is great okay <laughs>
1: Okay, cool. so uh, we'll just we'll mute it for that sake, but
2: so yeah,
0: I'll, hold on, Luke, pause it real quick. All right. So first off, um, so you end up tell us how'd you end up in lane eight? We're on, I want to hear about that. So take Let's us through that prelim so, swim.
2: Yeah, I mean prelims. There's a guy in front of me in the lane, uh, my same lane in the heat in front of me, Matt McGinnis, who was a Texas guy, a good friend of mine, um, and he false started the heat ahead of me. And so like, that just kind of rattled me a little bit. Like I'm staying behind the blocks. He just false starts in the hundred free. And so I, I remember just kind of like having this like nerves of not wanting to false start. And so they, you know, they said, take your marks. And the gun went off. And I remember just like kind of being shocked sitting there. And I remember like being in the air and seeing other people like already in the water like underwater kicking like I was so far behind from the start Okay. and so I just kind of like went crazy and was so grateful to just get you know make up the ground and get in the final so yeah I mean getting in lane eight and then I, I was just kind of angry you know to be honest um that I was in the eighth position that I you know was so slow off the start in the prelims, and that kind of fury just really fired me up. And and um, yeah, I mean, frankly, I just that's kind of how I I swam. I mean, yeah. Ian Crocker said something to me one time. Ninety. So I'll take this back real quick. Eddie Reese always says that ninety percent of the Olympic team hates to lose, ten percent loves to win.
0: Uh-huh.
2: And what that really kind of combines with is this thing that ian crocker told me which is you know most people who go to the olympics they're really kind of messed up um like they've got something that like you know has happened to them or is fueling them and it's coming kind of from a negative place and when i was growing up you know i always had this dream of going to the olympics and in wisconsin everyone would say like oh you're never going to go to the olympics you're too small you're not talented enough you're not strong enough why do you think you're going to be good enough to go to the Olympics?" people would always say that it would just light me up. Like you couldn't believe. I mean, I would just get so annoyed by it. And what that led was me just wanting to prove everyone wrong. And it had, you know, give me a chip on my shoulder. And so, you know, that's where the 90% hates to lose comes in. It's like, if you lose, then it gives fuel to the fire of the people on the other side. You aren't good enough. You aren't strong enough. You aren't big enough. You aren't talented enough, whatever it is. And so, whatever it might be, so many of those people who go to the top, they have something that they're running from, that they're, you know, trying to solve in their life. Maybe their parents got divorced. Um, you know, maybe swimming is kind of a sanctuary for them for some reason or the other. And, you know, I remember walking up to that, um, race and I was just kind of sick and tired of not doing as well as I wanted to. And like that preliminary swim, you know, barely making it. And then Griever's, you know, he and I were kind of always, uh, um, you know, battling in races in college. And he was the number one recruit coming out of high school. So we were always kind of like, you know, back and forth in that way. And I remember he walked up to me before that race and um, I had been sitting kind of where everyone was lining up, getting ready. He's like, man, you got here early. And there was just something about that comment that just like really annoyed me, um, and that was like just kind of like even a further tipping point. Like my my adrenaline was just like so hot, ready for this race. And I think if anyone saw me, like they could have just like said, "Whoa, you know, like something's you know lit and geared right now." And that happened. That just came out in this race.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'll play the clip. I mean, it's, yeah, it's impressive.
2: Yeah. This
0: is a loaded field too. I mean,
2: yeah, for sure. I mean, Simon Burnett was the fastest, you know, in the world in the 200 CLO, you know, he was coming on the scene. He had, he wasn't really quite, um, you know, at his peak at that point, but Greer's was in there. Matt target from Australia was in there. This looks like it's kind of in slow-mo maybe we're just going that slow. Maybe it's, (laughs) I don't know. Um, but basically I was just like, I'm going to go out in this race and, um, You know, I just went out. I think I was out in like 19.9, which at the time was fast. Um, 19.8, something like that. 19.9.8, yeah. And um, I didn't really know where I was. I was, you know, in lane eight right there at the top. But, um, you know, felt good. And I I think that last 25, I maybe took one breath. Um, That's something I was getting into. And right about here, kind of approaching five meters to go, something happened and my goggles like kind of flooded with water and if you keep playing this like i couldn't see anything so like when they show me i'm kind of looking around like you know i i couldn't even tell what happened right so ben wild <laughs> like look i can't i can't see anything at this point literally By i'm like i'm looking up there i don't know what's happening you know i'm asking the timer it's like hey tell me what uh what i went what place did i get and then Ben till Breeder comes up, who was my friend from the New World Championships in 2005, Stanford Guys. Yeah, I'm like, still, I have no idea what happened. <laughs> um, you know, normally I would have just been like, you know, super stoked. And so I just, I said to him, what did I go? So Ben comes up and he's like, you, you got first and I got second. So it was a really cool experience. You know, it was really fun to have, you know, won that race. And yeah. it was kind of another stop along the journey for me.
1: Yeah, I mean it's an insane. You can see the Texas team is just ecstatic.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. back when I think forty two one was a good time, you know. Um, So now I don't even know what people are going in the hundred for like thirty nine or something. I don't even know. I think, uh, 40- it's Crystal's crazy.
0: Russell's got the record <laughs> at thirty nine nine. But yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, so you win that national title and I heard that story from, I was at a Wisconsin swim camp and, oh, really? um, and Neil Kasky was telling, um, was telling us that story. So then when yeah. we were going to do the podcast with you, I was like, Luke, you got to find that video. Um, uh, yeah. and he also, I think he also said something, were you doing like 300 ups a day?
2: Yeah. So, um, I was doing, I did just just have a number of different things. Like strength was always my challenge of like figuring out how do I get stronger? How do I get better? I remember after my sophomore year of college, I made the world championships team in 2005, mm-hmm. won a gold medal as part of that relay. And while I had the second, I think I had the fastest time actually on the prelims, the coaches decided to put Nate Dusing on the finals relay, which really kind of annoyed me. Um, and I was like, gosh, you know, I don't want to be on just, you know, relays anymore. Um, right. I want to get to this next level. And I remember Aaron Pierce all giving me a ride home from practice one time. I was like, Aaron, what do I have to do to get to the next level? Like I want to be where you're at, you know, winning individual medals. And he was just like, continue doing what you're doing. Like you're doing all the right stuff. You're working in the weight room. You're working in your technique. You're aerobically getting more fit. Just be patient. So I kept working, kept working, kept working. Um, and I was always looking for ways that I could improve. So it was like, I was a freak for improving my technique. I'd watch people underwater, above water, work my start, solid nutritionist. Um, strength was always a battle for me. So it was like, I decided to do 300 extra pushups a day, um, for my junior year of college. And so it was like, literally anytime I would get up from studying or get up from the you know dinner table or breakfast table, I would do 25 pushups. Yeah. Um, And then I got to the point where, like, I just got so much stronger, I would start doing this thing where I do 50, and then 45, and 40, and then 35, and then 30. And it just became so much easier for me to do that stuff. Yeah. Um, But I did other things like I would go running at night, I would do, you know, weighted jump rope at (laughs) night, just like trying to figure out whatever I possibly could to beat people. Yeah. And some of it, it might have been like, you know, to a detriment physically, but mentally, it was like really important for me to do that stuff. And so, yeah. uh, you know, later on, I'll tell you a kind of a story of how that went kind of yeah. too far in the opposite direction. But, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Leading into that, you know, race, I was, you know, pr- going pretty crazy trying to get stronger,
0: trying to find that 1%, yep. whatever you can do to get that 1% better. Yeah. So your, yeah. your uh, teammates are resting, going to bed, doing study, and you're just hammering push <laughs> yeah. ups yeah very cool very cool yeah so, uh, so luke yeah. um let's say we transitioned uh 2008 just let's, for to- yeah. time's sake
1: yeah 2008 so Olympic let's trials. talk
0: yes go ahead luke take it Olympic all right trials.
1: 50 free free and you are just flying kind of just take us through like some of the prep you went through beforehand and take us through those races because I mean, two individual wins. And so you're on relay spots for 2008. And then heck, that's a crazy Olympics.
2: Yeah. So 2004, I missed the Olympic team by one place. I yeah. went and I wanted to get top six, nine three. I was seated 23rd in the psych sheet going to that meet. And I remember printing out the psych sheet and crossing out all the names, of the people that I was going to be. You know, if they went to Auburn, you know, I would cross their name out. If I had raced <laughs> them before, because I, you know, I didn't like Auburn. Um, if I'd raced them before and nearly lost to them, you know, I'd cross out. If I thought I could beat them, you know, if I just didn't like them, frankly, I'd cross them out. And um, I ended up being super nervous before the prelims, just like, gosh, I've done all this effort. What if I like have this aspiration of getting to the Olympics and don't make it out of the prelims to the semifinals and I'm like nervous. I have my suit on. Um, I was going to be swimming next to Neil Walker in the prelims. Who's like my favorite training partner of all time. Kind of my hero in the sport of swimming. And Eddie Reese comes up to me. He could tell I was really nervous. He hands me a cup of water. And he says like, splash some of this on your face. I was like, okay, cool. Splash some of it on my face. My nerves totally went away. He said, if it gets worse, just take your jacket off, jump in the pool and it'll be fine. So I get to the, um, race, Neil and I go one, two, it was my first time going under 49, free. I make it to the semifinals and I make it to the finals. Um, I'm in the finals and I recorded my audio journal that night, be- the night before the finals, like tomorrow this time I'll be on the US Olympic team. And that day I went to the, the pool and Eddie and Chris were like, Hey, it's gonna be really choppy in there. Like a lot of big, strong guys, why don't you go out a little bit slower and you'll have more energy coming back, you'll close on people. It's like, Oh, that sounds like a great idea. And so, you know, mind you, that was not my strategy ever in races. Like I always went out fast and just like hung on. And so I, you know, some of the strategy, I get to the wall, hit the wall. And literally like the worst feeling in the world comes over me. I had more in the tank. I hit the wall. And I just like, I knew that I had more in the tank. Like, and that's part of the problem with trying to back, cafe you never know like actually how much you have unless you swim it like that all the time and then even still you're not always sure I looked at the board and there was a seven next to my name and I just like put my hands in my face and just like started crying it was like the only time I cried for a race I thought my Olympic troop was over I thought just like I was so devastated I went back to talk to Eddie and Chris and they're trying to console me and then Chris finally says hey look up at the scoreboard I looked up there my name was still there with the number seven on it Think about how bad you feel right now and make a promise that you'll never feel this type of pain and disappointment again. So I just thought about, I looked up there. I thought about how bad I felt. And I just said, okay, yeah, I promised myself I'm never going to feel this type of pain and disappointment again. And every single day after that, when I didn't want to go to practice, I didn't want to wake up, I was sick. I didn't want to raise someone in practice. I thought back to that, that moment of how horrible I felt. And that's what really kept, you know, inspiring me to keep pushing forward and then the fall of 2004 i remember talking to this guy on the texas swim team john patterson backstroker you year ahead of me and i don't remember how it came up i said yeah in 2008 i'm gonna be number one in the 100 and the 200 freestyle and i always trained in the middle distance group of texas so i was always training for the 200 freestyle and that, you know, gave me a good hundred freestyle. And then, you know, when I tapered, I'd have, you know, great 50 freestyle. And you, I'm sure plenty of coaches could debate this and argue this, yada, yada, whatever. But the reality is like, I don't think anyone ever will have a better record than Eddie Reese in terms of performance, um, you know, many, many ways. And so I always trusted him and, and trusted Chris. And so for four more years, I just worked and worked and, you know, tried to do everything I possibly could Got diagnosed with high blood pressure at that point, almost had to give up my swimming career got super nutrition and food, um, and then got to the Olympics in 2008, the Olympic trials, and was like, it was already a done deal in my head. Like, I was going to make the Olympic team. I was just super stoked, um, you know, I knew that I was gonna swim really fast. And I had just like been getting excited for months and months writing in my journal, like how fast awesome it was gonna feel. Year before, and I'll get to the Olympic trials, which you asked me about, but this no, is an important background. Continue so no, year before, I hadn't really ever shared this story, but if you've seen the greatest race document at NBC, I've shared it there. So, you know, I feel comfortable sharing it here, but year before I'm sitting in Jason Lezak's hotel room in uh, Australia, the 2007 world champs. And he says to me, <laughs> he says, as long as I'm swimming, you'll never beat me. And like that, again, that kind of stuff can, at the time, just like with throw me into you know, like this, like almost rage inside. And I was like, oh dude, I want to throw this guy out of his hotel window right now. <laughs> um, I mean, he's like 45 pounds bigger than me, four inches taller than me. It was not going to end up being a good fight uh, on my end anyways. But that really motivated me. When I went back from Australia, I went to the art store and I got this tag board and this glow made art paint. And I did this actually when I wanted to break the high school record, um, in high schools, I painted on this board, what I wanted my goal to be. And I would shine the light on that. And every night I would look at that thing and I would visualize in my mind, what it was going to feel like to do that. So I, um, painted on there hundred free, uh, AR 48.16, which was the American record that Jason had at that point. So I get to the Olympic Trials uh, in 2008. I swam the 200 preliminaries just to kind of get a swim in. I felt amazing. I had so much speed. Um, I was in the second to last heat, lane four. Lee was in the third to last heat from lane four, um, Michael was the top seed uh, last heat, lane four. I was standing behind the block. Lee is swimming in the you know lane in front of me, and I never really pay attention, but, like, the crowd's getting into it. Sam Kendricks was, you know, announcing it. So, anyways, Lezak ends up breaking his American record right in front of me uh, in the preliminaries. And when I saw this, like, my armpits just immediately started sweating. And, like, my adrenaline, my heart rate went up. And I thought to myself, you know, if there is one defining moment in my swimming career, it's now. Not for anyone else, but for me. And a lot of people think, like, you know, a great athlete is a great athlete if they can kind of perform on demand when it really matters. And I needed to live up to my own self in that moment. And I was like, all right, cool. I got to break the American record right now. he's actually just broken. I'm, I'm going to break his American record right now. So I get on the block, I dive in. I dive in, my right goggle pumps off <laughs> right at the start. <laughs> but I'm like swimming the first 50, I feel amazing. I go off the wall, lofty is next to me actually in lane three. And um, he wasn't a sprinter in the free style, but like I was already kicking underwater when he was still going in for his turn. I was like, dude, I'm, I'm having an awesome race right now. I get to the wall. I hadn't even really turned on like my, my um, legs all the way at the end. And I would go forty-seven, seventy-eight, break the American record, first American under forty-eight seconds under free. And I was so thrilled to break Jason's record. I remember I went back to the warm-down pool, and Eddie was like, "Hey, that was awesome! Great swim. Get in the water. We have another one tonight." He was so trained up; like he'd seen this before. Cool. That was great swim. We have another one to take care of. So I went to the semifinals. Um, I didn't swim as well in the semifinals. I went like forty-eight point two. I was super kind of annoyed by that in short. With my you know, parents and coaches that night and then went back to the finals was like, all right, got it. It's go time. I ended up winning that race, making the first Olympic team, you know, 47.92 beat Lee Zach head to head. Carolyn Joyce, who was a great friend of mine. She came up to me and was like, Oh my God, Lisa, you beat Lee Lisa because she knew the story. And I couldn't tell if I was more excited to beat Lee Zach or make the Olympic team in that <laughs> moment. Um, but then, you know, I was just feeling so good and went to the 50 and won the 50 as well. And I remember Gary Hall in the writing room. He came in in this big cape, like this big kind of American cape. And everyone was like, oh, this is so cool. Gary, tell us about it. And I was like, here, Gary is trying to get everyone off their game. Like, I'm not even paying attention to him. So I just like to put my back to it and just focus on the 50 and had a great 50. And that was kind of the entrance to the Olympic Stadium for me. It was just like making the first Olympic team. Yeah, gotcha yeah, for sure so um take us through the
1: gap of time between making the Olympic team and showing up to the Olympic village like what's going through your head how's training going like how are you feeling
2: yeah I was feeling really good we were in you know Palo Alto for three weeks we went to Singapore for 10 days I felt really awesome I was super excited to compete um, you know I had an opportunity to win four medals four gold medals 50 hundred free two relays and um I felt like everything I had always worked for was about to come true. And um, the thing is, once you do something like that, no one ever can take it away. Like once you make the Olympics, like it, the game is kind of done, right? Anyone mm-hmm. who ever doubted you, it's like, okay, cool. Um, and again, that's like the dangerous part. Right. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about like, when I think about what I, I ever want my kids to follow in my journey and I have a five-year-old and an almost two-year-old um, it's a kind of a, tough challenge to like, think about frankly, would I ever want my kids going down this path? There is certainly a lot of value in going down the athletic path and pursuing it to the height that I did. I would say when you look at a lot of athletes who go to this level, their life post athletics is very challenging in ways that I don't know that I'd want for my kids or is even healthy. Like the the mental challenges of going to the top in something not only on that journey, but after that journey are like pretty severe. Um, And like, think about, um, you know, like I went to the Olympics, won two gold medals, broke a world record and still left the Olympics with disappointment because I didn't medal individually. I mean, think about how messed up that is. You go to the Olympics, you're part of the greatest relay of all time has been voted the number one relay in Olympic history. And you still leave with some disappointment. So I was feeling great going to the Olympics. I would say I still swam really well at the Olympics. Yeah. Um, I don't know that I was quite as sharp and had quite as much speed when I was there as I did at the trials. I mean, that trials, that was one of the two or three best, you know, racing periods that I'd ever done.
0: Yeah, for sure. Do you think um, you could take us through that four by 100 meter freestyle relay?
2: Totally. Yeah. Sweet. So we're, war- you know, we're warming up. I get, you know, the wake up swim in, I remember going to eating breakfast. I'm going back to the, you know, um, kind of our apartments where we were staying in the village and Phelps and his coach, Bob walked by me and they're like, Hey, did you see what the, you know, the Frenchies said in the newspaper this morning? I was like, no, I, you know, I don't even care what they're saying. You know, let's just go to and take care of business. So went back to my room and, um, was just feeling so good. I was like, this is this is like done deal. We're going to win the Olympic gold medal. Wow. I still have no idea how the French guys thought they were going to win. I mean, even on paper, you know, we had three guys who'd gone 47. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I've been 47-7. Um, Michael had been 47-7. Jason had been 47-5. We knew someone else would go 47. And so it was just kind of already a uh, foregone conclusion we were going to win the gold medal. I remember talking to Carolyn again, um, the night before, like, it's going to be so cool having a gold medal this time tomorrow. Wow. So I got my stuff ready. I'm on the bus going to the pool. And I remember seeing the Olympic torch out the left-hand side of my, you know, eye on the left-hand side of the bus and was like, Whoa, the torch is gold today. That means we're going to win gold on the relay. Like, I was seeing signs all over. Like, I was yeah. so sure. Um, I warm up. I'm feeling good. I got my suit on. We're about to, you know, go down to the ready room. And Lee Zach calls us near the side. He's like, hey, guys, I've gone to this race a bunch of times. When we go up as individuals, nothing good happens. So, like, let's go swim this as a team. And, you know, Michael, Colin, and I just thought that was such wise yeah. advice. We just were so stoked. So we go up there. We're in the ready room. I mean, it's, like, super intense in there. No one's really talking. You can kind of cut the attention with a knife. My, I, i'm just super stoked to be in there to swim there's there was like no fear no nerves like i'm there with my guys yeah to this race we're just gonna do great In i was going off michael and I, you know i practiced a couple of starts off michael before but
0: can i can i stop I, you I, real quick yeah totally um is it okay if we, we want to play the video and have you run yeah, us through totally, it? Totally, <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. I didn't want to yeah. have you do the race without it. Totally. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right, sweet, sweet.
1: Um, I also got the video pulled up. Yeah. Uh, so you like just to clarify, you had not heard that the French were saying we're gonna smash the Americans that we came here, that's what we came here for.
2: I hadn't heard that exact quote. Okay. I had heard that they were talking trash about the Americans but I don't know that I'd heard that exact quote at that point.
0: Yeah. All right. It's, yeah. um, all right, I got it. So just take us yeah. through it. You're going Totally. Up. Let's do yeah. it.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we're just kind of primed up, feeling good at this point. I mean, I'm like in my zone, ready to go. <laughs> they announced us. I mean, you can even see, I look at the camera right now and I'm just like, it's yeah. go time. We're about a little to bit, smash a little smile. These guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Um, you know, Fred Bousquet, we knew him from swimming at Auburn. I really didn't know the other guys. And, you know, strangely, three of them, you know, Hilo, Laveau, and um, Bernard, they'd kind of just come on the scene in the past couple of years just kind of out of nowhere. No one really even knew them. I guess, yeah, they said they were going to come to the you know, Olympics to smash us. but. We're kind of just screaming some stuff to Michael at this point, you know, getting him riled up. And we knew that the goal was basically have Michael be the front leg. And he was going to be able to kind of stay with everyone, which he pretty much did. I mean, Aven Sullivan was the world record holder in the 50 at this point. He obviously went out super fast. Michael closed in this second 50. And then the goal was I would extend a lead. Colin liked to swim in the open water. So we were going to have him go third and extend early, lead and then lead Zach as the veteran was going to, you know, bring us home. So Eamon Sullivan obviously is out front. I think this is nice strand in front, closest to us. Um, Michael's closing. He's catching, you know, Sullivan. I'm on the block. Like, okay, here we go. I go off the block and right there as I dive off, I'm thinking, my gosh, I may have just fall started. Like it just was so close. <laughs> but luckily I had swum enough races. Where I just kind of put that to the back of my mind and just kept with my 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 own race. So I remember coming back and like with 20 to 15 left, it really started hurting. But that's kind of when I really um, put on the gas all the way on my legs. So Colin was going to go off, and you know, luckily I was able to get the lead, but um, it wasn't quite far enough. And Fred Bousquet, he had the fastest split from the night before, and. Listen, this is the first guy to go under 19 seconds in the 50-yard freestyle. We knew that he was going to be super fast. Cullen swam 47.9. Um, I don't think that was his fastest time at that point maybe ever, but he still swam a good race. Bousquet just was really good. And you can even tell Bousquet's you know, not on the lane line here. That's the mis- one of the mistakes Bernard made, but there's a lot of space between Cullen and, and Bousquet. Phelps and I are just screaming basically everything we possibly can – that you don't want your kids to hear at Lezak right now to, you know, swim fast. And, you know, Lizek <clears throat> goes off and kind of right here at the 25-yard mark, they show the side angle video shot. Lezak's head is at Bernard's feet. And we're like, Michael and I look at each other. Gosh, looks like we're going to win silver here. We would have been so disappointed with silver. I mean, we went there wanting to win a gold medal. That's what we came there for. But look at Lezak. He's right on the lane line. And Lezak had... You know, everyone had ridden Lee Zach's wave for years and years and years, and he always, you know, griped about it. But there Bernard was, and this was just a kind of immature error on his side. He went out too fast, number (laughs) one. He got on our lane line, number two. Lee Zach rode that wave. And then I remember Lee Zach said that at the turn, he kind of like, you know, thought for a second in his mind, like, hey, do I have a shot here? And then he was like, I got to do this. And he turned it on every single stroke he took that last 50. He was just getting closer and closer and closer. I'm just like pounding my fists on the block, screaming for him to go. And we had to look kind of over the, the edge to see. And then looked at the scoreboard on the far edge, far end of the pool to like make sure we, we won. I saw United States America with the one next to it. And from that point on, for like 10 or 15 minutes, I don't remember anything. Like none of this, none of the celebration. Like I'm in a completely different mindset. I don't even know what's going on right now. Um, I do remember like Colin sitting down and being like, Colin, get up, get up, dude, we got to celebrate. Like he was just like, so tired of, um, gosh, what a dream come true. That was dude. That's, that's the pinnacle. That's what you dream of as a kid. That's what, um, you strive for. And I remember actually a couple years later, I remember talking to Aaron Pierce at one point and saying, dude, I really want to win an Olympic gold medal individually. He's like, there is literally no individual gold medal you could ever win that would come close to being on that relay. Like that relay is going to be more special than anything you could be a part of. And it's funny. I just got recently inducted into the Texas swimming hall of fame. And they asked me about a couple of moments that were like most uh, interesting to me in my swimming career. And I didn't even plan for this, but the moments that really stuck out to me were moments on relays. Those were, you know, I had won stuff my whole career. I'd won, you know, I wouldn't say I won tons of stuff. I mean, I won one NCAA title individually, another one on a relay. I won plenty of dual meet stuff. But, you know, I'd won from the time I was an age grouper all through high school, all through college, you know, nationals, world champ trials, Olympic trials, the Olympics. None of that like individually was as compelling and inspiring and fun as winning the relay events like that's where the energy was at at its peak for sure that's yeah
0: that's amazing i i also find it super super cool and super interesting that you guys went into that race thinking like oh we got this
2: totally that's so yeah, it cool was, yeah. it was mind-blowing to me to us that like anyone was going to think they were going to beat us yeah
1: uh, a little uh paul literally last night while we were writing up the outline does did the calculations just off FaceTimes, and said he in the outline literally says french were favored by 1.5 seconds so paul was a hater <laughs> that
0: that's what i had with um so i i yeah. did i did a speech on this uh on <laughs> this relay last year for my class cool and um like the, I think the who went in the first leg for France. He broke the Olympic record in the prelims, in the okay. um hundred on the first leg, and then the second guy for the French, he had posted at the time of French Olympic trials a top five time of all time, and then the third guy Bousquet had posted the fastest split in history. Yep. Um and then the fourth going into that race before it got broken was the world record holder. Yeah. So I just found that like super unique that like they got all those accolades and you guys just like, bring it, let's go. Yeah. I'm take them. And maybe
2: that some of that was like, you know, we knew how fast we were and how capable yeah. we were. And I never really looked at other people's times much in swimming. I was kind of just focused on what I was doing. And there was a time my freshman year of college, I remember, you know, going to breakfast with Neil Walker and be like, God, I wonder what the guys at Sanford are doing. What kind of training are they doing? And He just kind of looked at me and said, don't even worry. Like, don't even think about what anyone else is doing. All that matters is the stuff that you're doing, the times you want to go, all that's really irrelevant. And that's one of the beauties of swimming, right? Is you can kind of put your own recipe together and you can improve and you've got your own lane. That's pretty much untouchable. Sure. There could be some waves, but, you're in control of whether you go 47 or 49 and if you go 47 it's the best time and everyone else goes 45 yeah to make the Olympic teams well you still want a best time you can't control all this stuff exactly
1: so after this like just freaking biggest moment and like pretty much I mean greatest relay of all time clearly what's kind of like you've already peaked like what are you looking towards after that like mentally, physically.
2: Yeah. I mean, that was part of the challenge, right? You go and you're, I mean, one of the things that I was kind of annoyed by missing out <laughs> on the, the, you know, 50 and 100 medals. And then I was kind of rededicated to getting back individually competing on that stage. And I went from wanting to prove everyone wrong. And then it's like, okay, cool. I did that. I made the Olympic team. And then I had to figure out something new to be inspired by. And then it was like, okay, cool. I got to the top. How do I stay here? What's the puzzle for continuing to stay world-class and improving my craft? So my, my opinion is people should continue going best times into their, you know, probably even early 30s, frankly. Most people in college don't come near tapping their potential. They just either probably aren't good enough to continue warranting to swim because they can't do it professionally, but most people continue, you know, going faster for years and years. So for me, it was just about how much faster could I get? How, how could I refine all the things that I was doing? And I had ups and downs, right? I missed, I got third in 2009 in the 50 50th, 100th, yep. 2010. I didn't, you know, do great. And, you know, I made the Pack team and qualified for the world champion team, but thought maybe I didn't want to swim anymore. And then went to France and apprentice in this kitchen. And I remember the first day for five weeks, I was there. I wasn't going to go swim in the head shaft. I was like, no, 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 we've arranged for you to go to this pool. And I was like, no, I'm here on my kind of break. I'm not going to swim. He's like, no, 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 you're a swimmer. Go to the pool. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll go to the pool. And I you know, told myself, I'm going to go to the pool every day. I'm going to swim until I get bored or unhappy. And then I'm going to get out. And sometimes I swim for 10 minutes. And sometimes I swim for 80 minutes. It just kind of all how I felt. And I kind of rekindled my love for swimming. Because one of the dangers is and this is like one of the things that i worry about for just most athletes in particular my kids is like in athletics we focus so much on the product i want to win olympic gold medal i want to swim in college i want to make an olympic team i want to go this time and we are doing the process but a lot of times the coaches are are scripting the process for us i don't know how many athletes actually love the process of what they're doing some do, but you know this is even you know alarming. How many swimmers do you know who, when they finish college, do they continue swimming frequently? Basically zero, almost no one. So the question is, does anyone actually really like swimming, or are they just doing it because their friends are there, because they're trying to go a specific goal time? And so you know, the process is really important. And I lost sight of that. And in 2010, I rekindled that of just like, Oh yeah, I love being in the water. It feels really good. There are other things to focus on than just being, you know, the best. And then 2010, I swam great the rest of that year. So I'm awesome at the short course world championships. Then next summer in 2011, I had the second fastest, you know, realist split in the world, the hundred meter freestyle. And I was talking to Ed and Chris. I'm like, okay, cool. i want to win an Olympic gold medal in the 100 freestyle next summer in 2012. What do I need to do? And they're like, well, you know, Eddie said, you've always, you know, battled getting stronger. So we got to get stronger. So I went from lifting three days a week for an hour to lifting four days a week for an hour and a half and just went bonkers in the weight room. And I got so much stronger. But the reality is I needed so much more rest To recover that muscle and taper before the world champion for the Olympic trials in 2012 and we got behind the eight ball and didn't realize how much extra rest I needed to get my natural speed and I got to the Olympic trials in 2012 and didn't have my natural speed and missed the Olympic team in the finals getting eighth in the 100 freestyle and that was super disappointing disappointing I would say it didn't hurt the same as 2004 but you know, I take a lot of the responsibility for that. You know, certainly Ed and Chris have some responsibility, I would say, as well. But Ed has said that he's probably 2% of the equation. Coaches are 2% of the equation. I think that's actually about right. So most of the responsibility was on me going too hard in the weight room. But what, we re- what really kind of primed that up is I remember, like, three weeks later, after the Olympic trials, I'd just been kind of swimming still and having fun at the outdoor pool. And I went back to the pool and saw the guys, and they were doing pace. And I was like, "You know, I'm gonna get a new pace." And got in the water, and I was just lights out. I mean, my pace was incredible, and I was like, "You know what? I knew this was the reality, and like today proved it. I was just like going pace that." you know, was natural, easy speed that, you would. Know, I would have gone 47, probably in the 100 freestyle. The trials had been three weeks later. So I, I tried for the Olympic teams. i made one, I missed it on two. That's probably a pretty good hit rate for things we try and do in life and learned a ton along the way, for sure. Gotcha. Yeah, for sure. It's like
1: a great story you've told today. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to like Anyone. It doesn't have to relate to swimming. Just anything in general, just in life. What would
2: it be? Yeah. Try a lot of different things to figure out what you're really excited about doing, what you enjoy, and where that matches kind of uh, feedback you get from the outside world. So, like, we have kind of energy inside us. So, do we like this? Do we not like this? Does swimming give us energy? Does baseball give us energy? Does art give us energy? And then the world gives us you know, energy back It either gives us energy back or it doesn't, you know, one of that could look like, um, you love swimming and you end up winning a lot of races and people say, wow, you're a really good swimmer. So you kind of link both those together. If you love swimming, but you never win and you're not very good. Well, you can keep swimming, but you haven't really been given the feedback from the market or the industry or the marketplace or the competition that you're really good. And so, What's most fun that I've found is when you match the thing that you're really excited about and have energy for to what the world is giving you energy back. That's what I did in swimming. I love swimming. It was a blast for me. And the swimming community both gave me that feedback verbally and coaches saying how good I was and wanting to coach me and I won stuff. And that was super fun, but I found that because I did a lot of different athletics. I did, you know, all different types of camps, soccer, baseball, downhill skiing, which was my first dream. And I didn't start focusing on swimming, you know, year round until I was a freshman in high school. A lot of people would say that's really late. I think that was actually the perfect time. And the more research they do, they've found that people who go to the top in sports, they actually specialize late. So all these coaches out here who are trying to get kids to specialize when they're early, in my opinion, that's just super self-serving on the coach's standpoint. It has nothing to do with, being in the best interest of the kid it's just the ego of the coach or the financial you know necessity for the for the team gotcha sure.
0: well I think I think that's a wrap for episode 18 uh cool. whoever Gale, it's it's been an honor to have you on it's it's pretty crazy when I was swimming and when I didn't want to go to swim practice I would throw on the four by 100 meter <clears throat> freestyle relay and that would like motivate me to go. Cool. So to be talking to you right now. It's it's been yeah. an honor and um thanks, thanks. for joining us. Yep. Thank you. Hook
2: 'em. Appreciate y'all having me hook
0: 'em, episode eighteen in the books. So
2: thanks y'all.